All right, we're here. We are here for our last A and D do ID of residency, not ever. I was like, don't confuse them. We're not gonna ever. Keep this we're going to keep going, but you know, as residents, right? It's our last one. Let's talk antibiotics. Yeah, I actually kind of like antibiotics because they save people. They do indeed. Almost like vaccines, but we won't get into that today. <laughs> Uh, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to go through kind of some classes that you need to know for the boards. This is not all-encompassing, by the way. This is just kind of like some pearl tip things for each uh, type of antibiotic. And then we'll do a couple, like, specific agents that the boards want us to know. Yep, and again, this is all just high-yield stuff, so there are more you need to know about these antibiotics for your life, but we're just going to focus on questions that you may be tested on. All right, let's start with good old penicillin. The the old school, the OG, if you will. Yes, exactly. Uh, Penicillin is awesome. It's a beta-lactam antibiotic, and it binds to the penicillin-binding proteins of bacteria, which is what we try and overcome when you give, like, the 90 per kilo of amox for ear infections so that you can kind of help with some of the resistance. Because a lot of bacteria have resistance to penicillin because they can um, screw with that BBP. Yep, penicillin binding, binding proteins. It's a lot of like BPBP. It's hard to say either. <sighs> uh, what else? It's used it for a million things, right? Yeah. I mean, it, just think about what you can treat penicillin with. So strep throat. Remember, it is the only treatment for syphilis, including That's true. tertiary syphilis. Yeah, even if you're like allergic to penicillin. Yeah, anaphylactic antibiotic. Allergic. You yeah. get admitted so you can get your penicillin and that is testable like it's it's penicillin desensitization for for treatment of syphilis um and then susceptible meningococcal infections Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so in the clinic setting high dose amox being 90 mg per kg per day that's for otitis sinusitis pneumonia and then i don't often use just a penicillin in initial treatment of uti but like it, is, or it is it is cer- yeah. it is certainly an option it kind of that i would say that the uti thing is a little bit specific to your local biogram agreed but yeah the current recommendations are for a mox to be initial treatment but it work like our biogram does not it doesn't work super well so uh ampicillin you know we use it all the time in those babies ampingent and it covers listeria so that is, I think, frequently tested because it's something weird. Um, but yes, listeria, you need ampicillin. Yep, exactly. That's pretty much penicillin in a nutshell. Yeah, it's not too difficult. No. no. All right, the big guns, which I feel like I use all the time, are cephalosporins. It's because you have so many options. I know there are four, and now there are even five, There's right? so much room for activity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, first generation, uh, you know, these are like... Kind of your older cephalosporins, obviously. These are good for gram-positive bacteria. And so, like, staph even. Some staph can be covered for this. But remember that first-generation cephalosporins, they don't really cross the blood-brain barrier, so you should not use it in uh, meningitis. Uh, Some examples of first-generation cephalosporin. We have cephazolin, cephalexin, sometimes known as keflex or ANCEF. Those are, I think, the most used uh, first generations. How about second generations? Yep. So the the second generations uh, work against the beta-lactamase producing gram negatives. Um, so like Enterobacter, H. flu, Morexella, but... Don't think we use these as much. Yeah, we don't the, really use them that well. The first generations are better. 
So you kind of skip over a lot of the second generations. But some versions of that would be cefiroxime is a second generation, uh, cefachlor. Yeah, cefoxetin. I think that's the one that made Cefoxetin and cefiroxime are ones that you could consider. Um, I think that these are actually options for, uh, like, penicillin, allergic hepatitis. Yeah, yeah. Okay, third generation, I think this is my favorite generation. Yeah, I think the third generations are the ones that the majority of us use on a probably daily basis. If you're working in the ER and if you're working in the clinic, you're probably prescribing something on a regular basis as well. So these, uh, I think the one we all kind of know is ceftriaxone. That's kind of the uh, third generation that I at least um, use the most. It has excellent CSF penetration, um, really good at meningitis. Ceftriaxone should always be on your meningitis um, empiric uh, treatment unless they're neonates. And especially because Neisseria is so susceptible, Mm -hmm. uh, it's so weak against this antibiotic, so you can give it and that really can save somebody's life. Um, Some oral versions of third generation are ceftonir and cefepodoxime, which I always have a hard time saying. And these also can be used in, like, refractory otitis um, or pen-allergic people. Yep. And then ceftonir I know sometimes we'll use for group A uh, beta-hemolytic strep as well. Great. All right. Let's round it out with the fourth generation. So... Cefapim. The big gun. Cefapim. I love (laughs) cefapim. It's Uh, really good at... Yep, so it's really good at gram negatives, especially your Pesuetamonas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually never um, heard it called that, but oh, I'm cool like with a it. Pesueta seizure? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so Pseudomonas, you need, Cephabeam is really good at Pseudomonas. And actually, it's really good in general at gram negatives, but it kind of also is pretty decent at gram positives, which isn't like what I normally think of in a fourth generation cephalosporin. But that's also why it's the big gun because it does have such good coverage. So that's the one that you have to remember for the fourth generation. This is the only fourth generation um, and uh, cephalosporin that's available in the United States. Did you know that? Makes it easier to remember. That's why we love it. All right. So the only other thing we were going to talk about is that just for, you know, basics – the further, like the first generation cephalosporins are good at gram positives. Um, and then as you go down in generation, you get better at gram negatives and a little bit less good. I don't know. I can't talk today. Less coverage of gram positives. Now, cefepime is a little bit like it doesn't follow this rule because it actually has some gram positive coverage. But in general, it's really good at gram negatives. And that's really more what we use it for than truly gram positive. So the more you, like the higher in generation, the better gram negative and the little bit less better, less uh, gram positive coverage you get. All right. All right. What's uh, our next uh, our next group of antibiotics? Let's talk about the macrolides since everyone has probably had a macrolide It's in like in the life. water at this it point, is. right? Yeah. So that's the what? Azithromycin. Yeah. Z-pack. Yeah. Clorithromycin. Ooh, erythromycin on their eyes when they're born. Ah, I See, everyone gets a little, little macrolide. And we might as well just toss in the erythromycin board pearl. So the baby that gets erythromycin and then they get pyloric stenosis. Is that true? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like orally. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I was like, no, we give it to all the babies. No, crazy oral. No, that, okay, you're right. Cool. Okay. All right. 
Erythromycin, um, pyloric stenosis. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So, but for erythromycin, so that's covering mycoplasma, Moraxella, H flu, um, strep viridens, chlamydia, pertussis, Bartonella, Legionella. Kind of those, all the weird things. Yep. Kind of not quite as not quite the weird things that Doxy covers. We're not quite there, but close. Yep. You know, Legionella, Bartonella. You said. Also, one side effect of azithromycin is long QT. Yes. There is a warning from that from the FDA. So just a little little extra. And so Moraxella, though, and H-flu actually have high resistance patterns to azithromycin. I can't imagine why. Right. And I think that <laughs> I always hear this statistic. I don't know if it's 100% true, but there are some areas, I think, in China that have 100% resistance to That's azithromycin. Safe. Super safe. Yeah, so... Antibiotic stewardship. What, what? All right, next. What's next? Uh, we have to look <laughs> at our list. Why don't we just go ahead and do doxycycline since it we just talked about like it? seems like a logical progression. Yeah. I just think about doxy as like all the weird things you can get from ticks. Probably covers those. Probably. What else? Anything? Nope, I don't think so. So like You're not supposed to give it to anyone under eight, right? Except. Except there's one time that you always give it no matter what. Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. Correct. And it's really important. I, I have actually seen that on the boards, like that, or at least board questions, that uh, they try and trick you because they don't want you to pick doxycycline because the kid's younger than eight and it can has, has side effects at kids under eight. But you still should do it because Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever is so bad. Don't get tricked. Don't get tricked. Let's talk a little bit about aminoglycosides. I tell me about aminoglycosides. <laughs> like gentamicin. Yeah, tell yeah. me about it. I mean, they're kind of bad for you. They're not great on your kidneys, and they're not great for your ears. Yeah, so you do have to think about ototoxicity and nephrotoxicity. Kind of makes sense because, like, your ears are kind of the same shape as your kidneys. That's a good way to remember. You know, it. and like clearly, aminoglycosides are shapists, and they only go after circles. <laughs> <laughs> or ovals or whatever, kidney bean-shaped things. I think really the only time you're going to come across this uh, on the boards is probably neonates or side yes. effect. Mm-hmm. Yep, ototoxicity. That's why a lot of kids in the NICU have to have hearing screens, like special hearing screens after getting gentamicin. So. Bonus. Clinda. Clindamycin. Clindamycin. Here, you tell me what we need. Well, I was going to say, so probably the biggest thing that you're going to be tested on is the fact that it's bacteriostatic, not bactericidal. Mm -hmm. So you're using it in combination with something else for the most part. Um, I think of Clinda as the one that you're going to add for a lot of your skin and soft tissue infections because it can block the toxin production. Mm -hmm. And also for... um, Anaerobes. It's pretty good at anaerobes. Yes. Above the diaphragm, right? That's the classic teaching is anaerobes above the diaphragm is clindamycin. Below the diaphragm is betronidazole. I don't know if that's really, you know, true all the time, but it's a general thumb. A gen- yeah, general rule of thumb. Big side effect, C. diff. Don't get C. diff from your clinda. Yeah, so it's like it's classically taught yeah, for Clinda, but just remember that you can get C. diff from any antibiotic usage, but they may clue you in to this specific recent antibiotic usage in a, in a C. diff question on the boards. I think another important thing to know about Clinda is its use in necrotizing fasciitis. So in necrotizing fasciitis, um, you should use bank zosin and then always add Clinda. Um, and Clinda 
it's not giving you any added bacterial um, coverage, but it is giving you toxin. It has some toxin binding um, properties, which actually has been shown to improve outcomes in uh, necrotizing fasciitis. So if that comes up on the boards. Yeah, that's what I was talking about before that Ashley wasn't listening to. Oh, that's probably true. I'm tired, guys. All right, let's do a couple other like specific uh, agents. And these are just going to be like high yield, the question you're probably going to be asked. Right. So um, prophylaxis for meningococcal or uh, Hib exposure, rifampin. Rifampin. Also, complete, rifampin completely, absolutely contraindicated in pregnancy because it's teratogenic. So know that you should use it for prophylaxis for meningococcal and Hib, like he said, and then don't give it to pregnant people. Easy enough. I call it Bactrim, but we are not going to call it that. Trimethoprin with sulfamethoxazole. I don't know if I've ever heard it with sulfamethoxazole. I know, right? I usually just lump them together. Okay, sorry, yes. Dash. (laughs) Trimethoprin dash sulfamethoxazole. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, lots of uses for this medication. Um, So I think UTI is probably a big one. Burns. PCP prophylaxis and HIV. Absolutely. And I think that that is a very testable question is they'll mm-hmm. give you the CD4 count and they'll ask if they're on Bactrim prophylaxis and what are they on prophylaxis for? PCP. PCP. Pneumonia. Yep, exactly. And then a big side effect is Stevens-Johnson and then also bone marrow suppression. So they can get neutropenia, anemia, and thrombocytopenia. So you got to watch those things if yep. people are on them long-term. And we don't often give antibiotics for diarrheal illnesses, but mm-hmm. Shigella, Salmonella in your immunocompromised patients or very severe disease, uh, trimethoprim, sulfamethoxazole would be the treatment. All right, last but certainly, but certainly, certainly not, not least. least. Vancomycin... The, I always feel like it's this big gun, but, man, I just feel like I give it a lot. So We MRSA. really give it MRSA. for MRSA. I know. Everyone's got the MRSA spider bugs, and they just keep – everyone's got it. Yep. So, so anyone who's super sick, you got to cover for MRSA. Exactly. Um, it's good for endocarditis. Um, again, MRSA can also cover some pneumococcus. It can. But, yeah. I mean, MRSA is what you need. MRSA is what you need to think of. So the big side effect, though, mm-hmm. is so let's say somebody gets started on their vancomycin infusion and then they get this flushing and itching. And you're like, oh, my God, they're having an allergic reaction. Are they, though? No. It's just red man syndrome. And it's not an allergy. It's just a side effect. Yeah. And you can just slow down the infusion time and it will go away. It's fine. Exactly. Don't put it on their allergy list because they probably already have a million other ones and we don't need to add to it. Yep. So just slow down the infusion and that should slow down your red man. I think we kind of did a little quick. I know that's not all encompassing and maybe one of these days we'll be able to get one of our pharmacists on to help us do a big, big antibiotic coverage. But those are some high yield antibiotic stuff to know. See you next time, guys. <laughs>